And we're here, episode one, season one of Beer Bros Campfire Fun Time. I'm Grant. I'm Tyler. So we're here sitting in the garage tonight. Figured we'd uh, start this thing off with just a little garage podcast to get things going. Uh, so did you end up working today? I worked for about two hours, and then I threw up in the bathroom and came home <laughs> and used a vacation day. So now we're doing the podcast real and right, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> get work out of the way here, so... Threw up? Did you actually throw up? No, I did not. I just wanted to get out of work. Yeah, that's what I figured. All right, so we're gonna start this off by going straight into uh, straight into some old time hunting stories. Figured that'd be a good way to get this thing going. Just uh, maybe first deer kills and maybe a memorable deer kill. They don't have to be the same, but they can be the same. See, uh, I guess you go first. I got a perfect one in mind. Okay. And I'll start it off with me in a fold-out chair because I did it dirty, all right? I was on a buddy of mine's land, and all I had to my name, I asked him, well, hey, you got any tree stands or anything out there? Oh, no, no, no. Okay, that's fine. So I bring me a little $5 fold-out chair. Just throw it out there. Six o'clock in the morning before dawn, you know, get out there. And then I pass out. Obviously, because those chairs are comfy, you know. Had the seven millimeter on my lap, and uh, kind of wake up with some rustling. Then I see this uh, eight or nine ten point buck right in front of me. I'd say within fifteen yards. I kind of didn't even have time to get the, you know, the shakes when you get the little, you know, what I mean, nervous, a little nervousness. Yeah, yeah. And so I didn't have time. I directly pulled up the gun. <clears throat> couldn't even really see through the scope because he was so close. I could see just air, you know. And I pulled the trigger. He ran about 50 yards and just dropped. It was great. It was one of my easiest kills. Literally woke up for two minutes and had a, you know, had a deer. So I started gutting this guy. Split him all open. And then I got my elbows on his rib cage, spreading them apart. About to clean out the innards, right? And then... One of the rib cages where I've got my elbows on him slips off because it's kind of a bloody mess, right? Slips off while I'm trying to carve out the heart, and my knife goes directly into my finger. I mean, just stops at the bone, just gosh, right into my index finger. And you know, I don't get queasy with blood or guts or anything like that, but whenever my blood was mixing with a whole bunch of deer blood, yeah, wild, I got I got a little weird, you know. I immediately called the people, the land I was on. I was like, hey, you know, I'm right at this location. I might pass out. I got a knife stuck in my finger, blah, blah, you know. Come on over. Yeah, long story short, I probably should have went to the hospital. Uh, but I just kind of bandaged it up. I got the deer. Shitty part about the deer is the processing place we took them to. Never called me back, so I never even got the meat for the deer. Did you get a receipt? Didn't get that, nothing. Because it was... There's a friends of a friend. Oh, yeah, they'll take care of it. Yeah. They'll take care of it. They'll let you know. Never saw anything. And, you know, I remember I went to, uh, I can't remember. I didn't personally go to the doctor, but I was at a doctor's office for something, a friend or something. And then I was just like, hey, nurse, look at this. Is this, you know, I kind of showed her where my knife got in. This was a couple days after, and it was, it was looking pretty ripe. I'll say that. I'm like, should I have went to the, you know, 
doctor and they're like definitely yeah the transmission of diseases yeah. that could happen in infections and not to mention it was still split open quite a bit and they're like yeah we can't do anything now because after whatever 12 hours or 24 hours you can't stitch it back up or something and so now i got this sweet ass scar for the rest of my life on the finger you know yeah. there you go yeah yeah it sucks he didn't even get to keep the deer didn't either get the antlers didn't get nothing but just a scar and a story yeah well, my first deer, I must have been 11 or 12, went out with with our dad, and uh, we probably were out there for three hours, because it was about 8 a.m. or so, and a little spike buck had kind of walked his way up behind the stand. He was about 35 yards, so we turned around. And he was just staring right at us, but he didn't move. Is the easiest shot ever. He was like quarter towards me. So I could just put it straight to the front of his chest and out his back shoulder blade. <clears throat> he didn't even take a step. He dropped. And we waited 10 minutes and then went down to him. And uh, everything looked fine. He was a little button buck, maybe 60, 70 pounds. Um, and then we smelt the nastiest just rotting death smell that seemed to be coming off of him so dad grabbed a hold of his back hind legs and rolled them over and his right quarter was completely black and rotted there was a hole that must have been the size of a softball missing and you could see bones and arteries it was it was horrible so he's been decaying for a while he's it, still living Dad said it must have been a year. I don't know how this thing was running around still. It was so black in maggots and flies. I mean, they were on him while he was somehow walking around. I'm surprised wolves are, you know, predator animal didn't pick. Well, shit, if they they're smelled rancid meat, they're I probably not going to go for it. Yeah, you know? I don't think any predator would be interested in eating that. You're not going to go for a rotten apple. I You're think gonna go maybe vultures would be following it, like turkey vultures that are around here. I know we have a problem in Missouri with uh, I can't remember what kind of vulture, but <clears throat> it's kind of a protected species. So the conservation department doesn't allow you to shoot them unless you contact them and they're causing damage to property or livestock because there's a particular type of vulture that will target calves, especially after they're freshly born within a week or two. Mm -hmm. And they'll constantly agitate and pick at their nose keep picking at their nose and they'll bleed it out and make it so tired it doesn't sleep it doesn't eat that this calf eventually dies and then these vultures eat it from the face and so you're not even allowed to shoot them but obviously farmers around here you you, you definitely protect your livestock first and uh they just tend to take care of the situation and not have to contact conservation department because of the hassle and the weight and the potential no answer that you get and you just have to sit there and watch your calves get killed. So that's always a weird, weird predicament to be in um, with predators and stuff. But <clears throat> anyway, back to that decaying deer. Yeah. I want to hear more about that. That just blows my mind. Well, I didn't know what to do. Obviously, I'm 11 or 12. So he said we had to call a conservation agent because um, you use your tag regardless if you take the deer home right. or not. But um, you're not allowed just to shoot a deer and leave it in the woods. That's obviously breaking the law. 
So we called it in, you use your tag, um, kind of report it. And they instructed us just to kind of pull it under a tree um, and let nature kind of work its course with the corpse. But they just uh, basically said, at least it's not suffering anymore, you know, but that was the first time I had ever really thought that you could hunt, you can go through all this hassle and work and kill a diseased or or dying animal that you can't even take home and eat kind of kind of ruins your first trip or your first deer kill for sure but it puts hunting into perspective and conservation because it's not always about taking home an animal it's not always about being successful um you learn way more lessons than you ever take home animals um and you hope to minimize mistakes like what what had happened to this deer was pretty clear he had been shot the year before sometime earlier and it was a poor shot uh whether it was a bad setup a faulty rifle uh too long of a shot you know something happened but they hit this deer in the back of its leg and it still somehow got away it was rotting so that was just a terrible experience to have to see um But do you have any uh, any other hunting stories that don't involve deer, but maybe small game that you've involved, uh, maybe squirrel to raccoon or anything like that that you went out hunting for? I mean, I'll be honest. I'm not, I got a pellet gun. I'll go to my backyard if I want some squirrel. There is always 10 squirrels minimum running around. I can just pick them off in the trees if I want to go that route. Yeah. Um, I've had to do that. Uh, when I owned my house here in town, um, I had lost all my roommates for the very last year that I owned my house and I was getting ready to sell. So I didn't have money, but I had a pellet gun and in my backyard, you remember I had kind of, I remember a, kind of an acre lot almost, and it was fenced in and a lot of trees. You almost no sunlight hits the ground that, that kind of tree coverage. And I hadn't eaten in about a day and a half. And you start getting more bold. A little desperate. Yeah. <laughs> and it's the middle of the daytime. And I noticed that I had three or four really big gray squirrels in the backyard running along the fence and eating my pathetic garden that I was trying to grow in that terrible soil. And I opened up that sliding door. Um, in my bedroom, kind of laid down on the ground. I cracked that door so I had about a three or four inch gap. And I waited about 10 minutes. Sure enough. Covert operation. Oh, yeah. not Maybe not the most legal, but it's a pellet gun. So there's nothing illegal about shooting in the city. You just can't go hunting in the city for obvious reasons. But I was successful. I shot one. I waited five, 10 minutes just for the noise sake, uh, make sure people weren't around. I shot down into the ground, obviously. Um, ended up getting two squirrels, took them back inside. I found a bag of lentils and a bunch of spices. So I made a, a squirrel curry with red and green lentils and two whole squirrels. And I took pictures of it, showed people. And I was like, dude, if you're hungry, just you could have asked me for something 
But, but you had the land. I had the ability. That, you know, that you could. I had the ability and the resource. And I guess that's what it kind of boils down to. How self-sufficient do you want to be? I'm not over here trying to create Tesla batteries and make my own electricity and do stuff like that. But if you have the means and the ability and the resources are around you and you do it conservatively, you can harvest these resources just like you would a garden. So yeah, I absolutely tapped into that. And that's something that I think is super crucial and important that more people do nowadays. Um, like at my workplace, if I had to guess how many people hunt in both my jobs, I work in two different kitchens right now. I would say one from one kitchen and maybe two from another. So you're talking maybe like three to 5%. Everyone else goes to the store one to two times a week and restaurants three, four times a week. They don't really cook food. If they do, it's out of bags, it's out of cans. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so it's, it's kind of cool having the ability to have access to internet now too, where we have all the information to be able to figure out you know, seasons, like on your phone, you can be in the woods and have the conservation app. You can buy a permit, figure out what's in season right there in the field. So there's really no excuse to do anything illegal. And there's no excuse not to be taken advantage of going out every now and then if you believe in some sort of self-sufficient lifestyle. And <clears throat> well, not to mention you pay it back, you know, the, what little fee it is for a little fishing license or something. That's helping you know where we're at missouri conservation do their thing and keep numbers correct and oh you know, absolutely the, the ecosystem alive and thriving and it's undeniable that hunters are the most pay it forward as far as taxes and fees going back to conservation than any other group or any other person um hunting fees alone i can't remember what the law is but we we passed that law a long time ago that basically means all of our hunting tags and permits and all of that all the fees go into conservation and yeah. conservation like departments. 100 of the proceeds it's not yeah, just it's, someone skimming off money off the top it's, and it's even more than just that our i believe in our state the ammunition sales also have a tax that go towards conservation it may be a small nominal fee but we all hunt, we all shoot competitively or for fun for a variety of reasons. So you're buying ammo, you know, you're, you're paying it forward in some aspect, which keeps conservation going. And that's a weird topic for some people to understand that you have to go out and kill animals right. to preserve animals. Some people don't understand that, you know, those, those big old bucks and stuff, they're picking on the little ones. Sometimes they're running off other ones, killing others. They'll you fight. Know what I mean? any buck off so yeah. when you when you're killing off the young ones that are ready to spawn and have new offspring and they're strong you're, enough you're to. you're killing off the next generation whenever if you got rid of the buck you everything would have been fine yeah because oftentimes these old bucks when they get old age and old age is what for for a deer four to six know. Four to six years. If you have a whitetail that lives four to six years, Depends that's on how good they're eating. That's a pretty long life. And what happens to a deer is just like what happens to any animal. When you age, your body system starts shutting down. And when you have an older deer, <clears throat> that's very territorial because that's how big bucks get. They like to be the only buck in the area, and they will fight off any young buck and keep 
young bucks from producing when they themselves are not even capable of reproducing. Okay, so so we just got to see um, most white-tailed deer for a variety of circumstances is all averaged out, lived to be about two to three years. This is what it shows up on animaldiversity.org. Um, maximum lifespan in the wild, perfect conditions is 20 years, but few ever live past 10, it yeah. says. So, I mean, you're talking about predators, disease, lack of food, harsh uh, seasons. You know, there's any number of, you know, human intervention with building and construction. Yeah. Land management. Moving in on their territories. <clears throat> uh, lack of lack of food plots. You know, I, I know there's not exactly wild grocery stores, but deer undeniably coexist with humans now. Not always positively, but they're here. They live in your backyard woods. You'll see them walk around the city sometimes, just like coyotes. But they've gotten used to our food plots, like farms around the area. If you grow corn, you're going to have deer. Sorghum. They're not sorghum. Uh, soybeans. Soybeans, I mean, yeah. Soybeans, they'll yep. be all up in that. And... and so all of that goes back to conservation, where <clears throat> if you believe in being sustainable and responsible, you should go through education and classes to where you can get your hunter's education. But the best thing is, is find someone, find a friend or family member that is a hunter um, that can link you up with a hunter that's willing to take you out. If you don't know, you don't have to pull the trigger. You don't have to shoot. You can just go and observe so you can see the process for yourself. Um, it's humbling. It's, it's sad. And there, Absolutely. There's nothing more peaceful than being out in the wilderness when day is breaking, everything's waking up. You start to hear the woods come alive. Yeah, the you squirrels know, chattering, the Absolutely. birds chirping, the Absolutely. sun comes up, and then you start seeing wildlife that you you've only seen on National Geographic and Planet Earth. Right. And you're like, is that a bobcat? And you realize this is the first time you've ever seen a bobcat, and you realize that you you didn't even hear it, but it walked past you and it's underneath you already. So it's you have experiences that you don't experience, but that's pretty much everything in life. Try things. Because you never know what's going to be cool. But hunting is one of those that hunting and fishing are the two that humans were definitely made to do. Um, it connects you with nature, connects you with other people. The memories you have with friends and family when you go out on these hunting trips. Well, I'll go ahead and say it. I think I have probably the most respect for waterfowl hunters. Because the best time for waterfowl hunters to go out is the worst temperatures the worst environment it's raining it's snowing on them they're standing chest deep in freezing cold water and they're out there waiting hours and they're always smiling having a good time i've been asked i think twice to go duck hunting i said yes and i refused the last second i'm not quite ready yet i've been pigeon and dove hunting that was awesome yeah, i've been dove hunting with dogs that's a great great experience we didn't have dogs when we went but that was yeah. it was great we sat in a soybean field at the edge of a cornfield we filled our limit in an hour and a half uh it was it was awesome but i've always wanted to go duck hunting i'll do that later but i definitely have respect for waterfowl hunters the calls that you have to be very good at the decoys the money involved the time research needed you I mean, definitely you gotta need know a what boat. you're doing you're gonna be wasting your time and money simple as that you need a boat and or a dog that's gonna be rough i used to work with uh 
two two guys at a local gun shop here in town called Eagle Armory. It's definitely the best gun store in the area. Um, they were avid waterfowl hunters. You met them, Chan and John. Um, one was in the military. One was just a real funny guy. <laughs> they were professional duck hunters, family duck hunters. John had a dog. I believe his his family dog. I can remember his name was Ranger, and they talked so highly of this dog, and uh, just how expensive and how old the dog was. He had multiple offers from fellow waterfowl hunters in the ten and twenty thousand range, and it's not not adequate enough for a dog like that. Right. You know, you're talking service animal prices at that point because they they're a working breed. They have a task. They got a job to do. It's really cool watching them do that too rather than just a lethargic dog laying around all day in an apartment, never really, never really living out the, the breed, um, qualities, (laughs) but on the, uh, waterfowl and hunting, we actually have a cousin of ours. His name is Heath Saner. He started his own company. Why don't you talk about it, Tyler? Yeah, it's called uh, hunt ready and they do, uh, I mean, he's just a wealth of knowledge when it comes to any type of hunting. And he does everything from waterfowl to big game hunting to everything. And, and what they what they have designed is just Upland-inspired gear that just makes everything just so much more efficient, yeah. quicker, easier, just better for use whenever you're, you know, doing the – it could be a day hunt, it could be a weekend hunt. Just one of those things where they have a little bit of everything for everyone. It. I remember seeing pictures of a lot of the gear. It looks really nice too. It's not oh, yeah. your, it's not your top quality too. It's not your normal Billy Bob hunting gear um, that we all have at the back of our closet, but <laughs> we all wear it from time to time. But it's nice to get some nicer stuff. That I mean, technology and clothing has come so far, and equipment and gear. It's nice to have accessories and vests and pouches that are actually very functional, high quality, durable, and they look really nice too. Um, so I'm really excited to get to test out some of that stuff. We're going to be going, hopefully talking to him at some point in the future about his company, about hunting, about his dogs and the family, um, the family farm and all that. Um, so I'm pretty excited. It's hunt ready, R E D I. Uh, so you can check him out on Facebook and see all the products and everything that he's got. And the the ready actually stands for reliable equipment driving inspiration. Oh, nice. See, I didn't know that. Yeah. That's cool. I know he's got a lot of a lot of merch right now too. So if you're just kind of looking to uh, see what he's got, maybe grab a sweatshirt or something. You should check it out. His stuff's pretty cool. Um, well, whenever we were kids and stuff, he's he's a little bit older cousin than we are. I mean, our dad personally taught him, got him inspired to go hunting, took him hunting whenever he's little. And, you know, I wish we had more time with dad because I, I definitely remember a couple of the hunting trips. I remember my very first one I ever went on. I've got ADD like a crazy person, so it's really hard for me to sit still and be quiet. And, boy, he, he, he had patience with me, but once we finally got up to the tree stand, you know, he got me squared away to where I wouldn't wouldn't be moving around and being quiet. And I remember I I fell asleep. It was early in the morning. And, you know, I wasn't <laughs> yeah. ready for that, so I was asleep. You and always then, sleep. I always yeah, sleep. Yeah. And then one of the things where I woke woke up to just 
just the loudest bang ever. Yeah, that seven millimeter. Seven millimeter yeah. bag, and yeah. he had that thing. It was probably probably two feet away from my had my a head. compensator on the end of it too. Oh yeah, so it was extremely loud. A compensator just it spreads out the gases that are following the projectile when it leaves the barrel, so it dissipates the recoil a lot. And on a round where it's a long action round, like a seven millimeter Magnum, you really want to lessen that recoil. It's good if for big game follow-up shots, et right. cetera. And boy, I'm, that was just the loudest thing ever to wake up to as a gunshot. I didn't have ear protection on at the time. And I learned from then on out, you got to be prepared for everything and don't fall asleep when you're hunting. Yeah, so. that, that happened to me. And unfortunately, when I was a kid, they didn't have Howard Light electronic hearing pros. Yeah. Uh, we had those little... Old timers put bullets in their ear, you know, the whole yeah. lot of sound. The old paper towel wads or the over-the-ear muffs that pressurize your ears so much it oh, gives you God. a headache. Yeah, that happened to me. I had one ear on and one ear off, and I was leaned up against the tree in that old wooden stand that Dad built yeah. in the woods. And it was, I don't remember what time, but it's the same situation. The sun had rose, though, and that's when I fell asleep. I made it all the way to sunrise, and nothing was happening. And the sun hit my face, warmed me. A little warm, yeah. Made me nice and cozy. <laughs> put me to sleep. And I remember hearing a, I was the safety going off. And I opened my eyes, and I, the ear that I had off was on the left side, and it was right next to Dad, and that 7 millimeter went off. And my ear was ringing all day. Yeah, it was horrible. It's horrible. That gun was definitely overkill, but <laughs> it's a laser beam. You can shoot flat. It's normally made for things like elk or yeah. rams on a mountain. You know, large, large game. But yeah, that was a fun time. I remember repairing that stand a couple times. We went out in the woods. Oh yeah. I remember getting covered in seed ticks and yeah. having to go home take a. A diluted bleach bath is to kill all those seed ticks who were completely covered and would look like pepper. Those of you that don't know or aren't from a state that has this kind of temperate zone like we do, um, right whenever spring kind of gets kicking for us, you know, April-ish, May, the weather starts warming up a little bit, the freezes are done, we get variety of ticks you know deer ticks that, big and small yeah that, that kind of go up to almost the size of a pea most of them are lentil size and pea size but then we have these things called seed ticks and they you can barely see them or often the size of pepper flakes and if you just brush up against something they will cover you where you'll get sometimes a couple hundred in just a, a few square inches of your body and they're near impossible to pick off but a couple tricks you can do with duct tape and put duct tape on your legs, uh, re adhesive side out, and wear long pants. Don't wear dark colored clothing. Um, but otherwise, I hear blood type is kind of a big factor in like mosquitoes coming after you. And, I've heard that some people are just immune where mosquitoes that come after yeah, they come after they, me like crazy. Yeah, it's they eat me alive. It's not even. Yeah, it's not even funny. Kind of upsets me when people aren't affected by mosquitoes. Yeah. But what we're going to do now is we're going to talk about one time where you had a run-in with Clubfoot. Oh, Clubfoot. You, why don't you explain who Clubfoot is? Because 
I don't even know his real name. I don't know his real name. And I'm 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 sure by this point, probably rest in peace, Clubfoot. Because I don't know how many more accidents he can survive falling out <laughs> yeah, of a tree I mean, stand. He was, he was a, a danger risk. We'll say that at least. He was one of those that would just trip over nothing type, you know. Which I'm kind of the same way, but not nearly as severely as he was. I always felt bad, but I was so young with my interaction. I genuinely thought that he that he might have he might have had some severe trauma as as a child Possibly. or something because he he seemed really damaged and not quite all there. He always seemed like he was looking through you and not at you, and he would stare off a lot. Well, my experience with Clubfoot. That's what dad called him was Clubfoot. Apparently, that's what all of his friends and family called him, too. It was a good nickname. Yeah. Apparently. He would basically meet us out there at 4.35 in the morning to unlock the gate for us, and he'd walk down and follow behind us in the truck while we drove and then parked in the field, and then we'd all walk to our stands. Well, his stand was – his hand was about a mile or so – before our stand so whenever we get to his stand he walks to his and he said he's gonna wait till he sees us and then he'll kind of go up in the stand and so we go to our stand and we climb up and get in it and we stare clubfoot across the valley slowly getting up his ladder into his stand 